0: I want to bring you greetings this morning from your brothers and sisters at Grace Baptist Church of Saline County in Bryant, Arkansas. They've asked me to tell you that uh, they wish that they could be here with us this morning, but they're praying for us. They're looking forward to hearing the sermons and uh, greetings from my flock. I want to thank Lee Creek Baptist Church and Pastor Joseph for continuing to allow the Preachers of Grace Conference to go on here. What a blessing it is to my soul and I know that it's the blessing to the souls of all who attend consistently and regularly particularly. And I want to thank my good friend and my brother in Christ, Harold Smith, for his encouragement and his shepherding particularly over the last six months or so in my life as a Christian and in my life as a pastor. Brother I love you. We have grown very close in the last six months. You are a uh, A blessing from God to me and my family and my church. And I know that I'm not saying anything other than what many of the men in this room that pastor and shepherd could say as well, but I am thankful to God for you. If you would, open in God's inspired word with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to talk about what Peter talked about here, about shepherding the flock of God. We have heard great sermons. I like the styles of preaching that I've heard. What a blessing it's been to my soul. I like to hear the word of God proclaimed and expounded. I like to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed with no apology. It's getting harder to find places to go and hear those kind of preachers. What a privilege it is. What an honor it is. Frankly, it makes me tremble a little to get to preach to a A room full of preachers like that. You pray for me this morning. Peter is giving an exhortation to the elders, the pastors, the shepherds, to these first generation Christians that are beginning to undergo persecution. He refers to them in the opening of his letter as the exiles of the dispersion. These are believers, probably primarily Jewish in nature, that have been exiled as a part of the dispersion. They are no longer in their homes. They're, they're not where they grew up. They're not even necessarily around the people that they grew up with. Things are significantly different in their lives than they were previously. And now, on top of all of that, they're beginning to be persecuted for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 years ago. But there are some principles that are contained herein that apply to us today, my brother pastors. One of the principles is this. As though we have not been physically exiled from our land, we still live in our homes and we still have the same neighbors and we still go to church with the same folks. If you've looked around, if you've paid any attention to what's going on, you've noticed that we don't live in the same country that we grew up in. Things are different. It's all in accordance with God's good providence and his purpose in our lives. But we are that generation of shepherds and pastors that God has placed at this place, at this time, to shepherd and pastor his people. And as I studied this passage of scripture, first let me tell you that I was deeply convicted. And then I was very blessed by God's Holy Spirit. And I pray that God's Spirit will be present this morning that he will use these quivering lips to preach his word in a way that his spirit will use in the lives of each one of the shepherds and pastors in this room, and also those of you that are not shepherds and pastors in this room. Draw us closer to Christ, cause us to recommit ourselves to the preaching of the word of God and the shepherding of his people in a way that brings honor and glory and joy to our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ will you pray with me our father we thank you for the blessing of being able together this morning and worship our risen lord jesus to read your word to pray your word back to you to sing your word to preach your word spirit we pray that you would be present among us that you would have freedom to move in each and every heart Lord, i pray that you would use me i pray that you would direct my thoughts that you would direct my words father i pray that you would keep me from error pray that you would make this time together, this morning, a blessing to all under the sound of my voice by the power of your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 5, as you're getting settled in there in your scriptures, let me make a couple of observations. The, the concept of shepherding is found throughout the scriptures, way back into the Old Testament. Just a couple of examples will suffice. Jehovah himself is seen as a shepherd to the nation of Israel. Probably the most uh, well-known spot that anyone would turn to to find that would be in Psalm 23, where we're told that the Lord is my shepherd. There he says, Jehovah is my shepherd, I shall not want. In Isaiah chapter 40, we read that he, Jehovah, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Can you not think about the Lord Jesus when you hear that in Isaiah chapter 40? Well, if we go to the New Testament, we certainly see Christ indicated there as a shepherd. He himself said in John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The author of the letter to the Hebrews said that This, he said, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd. He's not just the good shepherd, you see, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. Brought him forth by the blood of the eternal covenant. And then Peter in the text that we're going to look at this morning refers to Jesus Christ as our chief shepherd. The text that we're going to look at this morning before I read it to you, I want to observe what you already know, but let me remind you that this text is not about the qualifications to be a shepherd. This text is not dealing with the qualifications of what it takes to be an elder or a pastor or a shepherd in a church. Those qualifications are are, uh, penned by Paul under the inspiration of God's Spirit, and we find them in 1 Timothy and in Titus. This text is about what God-called, God-equipped, faithful shepherds do. How they do it, why they do it, and for whom they do it. Now, this is a relatively long introduction for me, and it's not often that I make applications in my introduction, but I'm going to do that this morning. For those of you that are here this morning that are not a pastor somewhere, there is an application of this text to you, and it is this. What Peter is exhorting these shepherds to do and how to go about it. Is what you have every right as a Christian and a member of a church to expect of your shepherd. What Peter is giving us as shepherds as an exhortation, take it and use it this way. It is what the Lord Jesus expects, requires, demands from his pastors. Do not settle for less. The Bible tells us that Shepherds and pastors are a gift from Jesus Christ to his church. We read in Ephesians chapter 4 that Jesus gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. If you've got a King James in your lap, it says pastors. Some of the newer English translations say shepherds and teachers. We use those words and those titles interchangeably. You see in the New Testament, elders, overseers, or bishops, Shepherds or pastors, we use these words interchangeably to talk about the pastors of our church. Most of us do, anyway. It seems that elder primarily refers to the maturity and the life experience that comes into the office. The word that is translated bishop or overseer generally refers to the responsibility that the office carries. And the word shepherd and pastor come from the same root, and that's another title for the office. It means to take care, to tend. In this text, Peter, I want to see four things here, talk about four things that Peter tells us. He's going to tell each one of us that are pastors to shepherd the flock of God. That's first and foremost, shepherd the flock of God. The second thing we'll see is that we are to exercise oversight of the flock of God. The third thing is that we are not to domineer or lord it over the flock that God has entrusted to us. And lastly, he says, to be an example to the flock of God. As Peter was writing this letter under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, it seems to me that as he's exhorting these pastors on how to shepherd, that if it wasn't at the forefront of his mind, it must have ran through his mind on several occasions. The fact that he had denied the Lord Jesus, not once, not twice, but he had denied him publicly three times. Peter had disqualified himself from being a pastor, from being a shepherd, or so it seemed. After the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, Peter told his disciples that were with him, he said, I'm going fishing, and they said, we'll go with you. You know the story, you read about it in John chapter 21. They fished all night, and they didn't catch a thing. I've done that, it's no fun. And I wasn't doing it for a living. I was trying to have some fun. They fished all night. Their vision was blurry. They were tired. They were wore out. They were probably out of coffee. And as it began to dawn, through the mist that undoubtedly was on top of the water, they looked and they saw a fellow over there on the shore. He had a charcoal fire going, and they might have smelled the fish and the bread. I don't know. But he told them to let their net down one more time, and when they did, they filled it. And it finally dawned on Peter that that was the Lord Jesus. And he threw on his outer garment, and he cast himself into the sea, or into the lake. He he couldn't wait for the rest of them to row him to the shore. He came up out of the water. And you know the rest of the story. The Lord Jesus prepared breakfast for them. And then he restored Peter to his place of ministry. So as Peter is exhorting these elders... To shepherd the flock well, these words must have rung in his ears after the denial and then the restoration when the Lord Jesus said, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. But we as pastors and shepherds have a tremendous responsibility to do those things. And our responsibility is not just to the flock that the Lord has entrusted to us, but is also to the Lord Jesus himself. But the flock, those of you that are not pastors and shepherds this morning, you need to know that you have a responsibility also. You see, there's a mutual responsibility that exists between the shepherds and the sheep. There are numerous places that we can go and look at it, but one will be sufficient. And that's from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. We were told there that we who are sheep are to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. My brothers and sisters, pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. I can't emphasize that enough. We need your prayers. Let me read the text, and we'll spend a few moments looking at it together. Under the inspiration of God's Spirit, Peter writes... you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Peter begins with the word, so. So. In the light of the judgment that is coming. Peter has, has given instruction now to these Christians about how to suffer as a Christian. He told them that the time for judgment has come and it's going to begin at the household of God. He said, in light of that, so I exhort you elders... I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. You see, Peter is exhorting these elders that are among the exiles. Since the judgment is beginning at the household of God, the household of God needs to be in order. He's exhorting them. I want you to notice this is not a command. It's not even a demand, but he is urging them. He is instructing these shepherds. He is encouraging these pastors. He is strengthening them those that were among those exiled Christians who were providing the oversight and the spiritual authority and the spiritual leadership and the spiritual instruction and the spiritual protection for these assemblies of believers. Surely these believers were praying for their pastors. Surely these prayers were pastor, uh, these pastors were praying that, that God's spirit would encourage them and give them the strength and, and the necessities. Of pastoring in a difficult circumstance as first generation pastors. But Peter felt the urgency and the need to exhort them, or in other words, to encourage them. He cared for those that were in his charge to some degree. I don't guess they had preaching conferences during the exile. But that exhortation that Peter gave them was pretty close. He was treating them as a group of men called, equipped, gifted by God, given responsibility to pastor. And I want you to notice this. He said that he was doing this as a fellow elder. He did not refer to himself as an apostle here. He could have. That would have been accurate. He was an apostle. He was not just an apostle. He was recognized pretty well as the leader among all of the apostles at Jerusalem particularly, but that's not how he chose to relate them from a position of power. He chose to relate to them as a fellow pastor. In this instance, he did not think of himself as an apostle, but he related to these church leaders as one of them. He put himself in their place. He said, I understand what that is like, and I want to encourage you. He also said that that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So he's exhorting them not only as a fellow pastor, but as a witness of the suffering of Jesus Christ, an eyewitness. But this word witness, it doesn't just refer to the act of what he observed, but it is referring to the act of testifying to what he has seen. He didn't just witness it, now he is giving eyewitness testimony to it. Peter's advising the recipients of this letter, that he had been called by God and authorized by God to give testimony as an official witness to what he had personally observed of the suffering of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the palace of the high priest, and probably at a distance, the crucifixion itself. Not only as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now I can't imagine for a moment that as Peter thought about the glory that's going to be revealed, that his mind did not go back to the Mount of Transfiguration and having been present there and seen Jesus in a glorified state there on that Mount. I like some of these new English translations, but you can't beat the King James Version when it refers to that as glistering white. I love that word, glistering. But it's certainly a, likely a reference backward to the Mount of Transfiguration, but it is certainly a reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes physically and visibly and gloriously for his people whom he has called to suffer here below for a little while. Peter is exhorting those pastors as a fellow elder and a witness and a partaker in that glory that will be revealed. When the Lord Jesus comes again, look with me at verse two. Here's the exhortation. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God and not just the flock of God in general, but he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's already been mentioned in the conference that that we pastors have the primary responsibility to shepherd those that God has entrusted to us. Frankly, that's as far as our delegated authority goes. I have no authority over the sheep that God has placed you over, but I have the delegated authority for the sheep that God has entrusted to me, don't I? So we shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What does it mean to to shepherd the flock of God? Well, among other things, it means this. It means to look after them, to tend them to do the things for the flock that God has entrusted to us that a shepherd in the first century would have done to take care of his shepherd. Uh, Excuse me, he would have done to take care of the sheep entrusted to him. Now we do that with a certain amount of authority. The Lord Jesus has delegated authority to us as pastors. It's not inherent in us. It is delegated authority. And as you look at it, it's relatively limited in the areas where we are to exercise that authority. And it seems to me as I study that in the Bible and throughout church history, that the authority that Christ has given us is best used whenever possible, when it is used sparingly, and when it is used as lightly as possible in order to accomplish the desired effect as a matter of fact I would go so far as to say that in many instances if not most when pastoral authority is exercised oftentimes it's not even recognized that pastoral authority has been exercised we use it sparingly and we use it lightly we have a responsibility to shepherd the flock of God to feed them The Word of God. Primarily, the responsibility that we have is to feed the flock entrusted to us with the Word of God. But we don't just feed them the Word of God. We lead them in accordance with the Word of God. Brother, feed your people the Word and lead your people in accordance with the Word. As shepherds of God's people, we have the responsibility to guard His sheep that He's entrusted to us. We have the responsibility to care for the sheep that God has entrusted to us. Brother, you have the responsibility to give your attention to the sheep that God has entrusted to you. We cannot tend the sheep, nor feed the sheep, nor lead the sheep, nor guard the sheep without giving them our attention. We have the responsibility to seek them when they go astray. Not to sit in small groups and criticize them when they go astray. Not to make fun of them when they go astray. Not to wish them ill will when they go astray. We have the responsibility to put on the sandals of the gospel and track them down. To seek them wherever they go. To find them. Correct them as necessary, and bring them back into the fold. Now, I recognize and you realize that we don't have the capability to make that happen. We do that in complete and total dependence upon God's Holy Spirit. And in that dependence that we have on the Spirit of God, we have the responsibility to diagnose and treat the spiritual sicknesses that the sheep entrusted to us experience from time to time. We doctor their spiritual sickness with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their spiritual wounds as well. We have people that not only suffer spiritual maladies and spiritual sicknesses from time to time, but there are people probably in nearly every one of the flocks that are represented here today that have spiritual wounds. Some of them are just abrasions. Some of them cut all the way to the bone. We have the responsibility to apply the balm of the gospel to their spiritual wounds and to treat their spiritual sickness with the gospel. Brothers, shepherd the flock that God has given you. Love them. Serve your people. Care for your people. Suffer for your people. And be willing, if called on, to lay down your life for your people that's a pretty high bar the lord jesus set that bar didn't he but you know when you read through the letter that is known as first john when we read that john told those that he wrote to and he wasn't just writing to shepherds he was writing to christians of every age he said love your brothers new command i give you he said He went on to say that we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers. Very few of us will ever be called on to actually substitute our life in the place of one of the sheep that's been entrusted to us or any other brother and sister for that matter. But we ought to pray that God's spirit would make us willing to do it if the time comes. Laying down our lives for the sheep that God has entrusted uh, entrusted to us will more often look like not getting to do what we had planned and having to go and tend to one of the sheep that God has given us. It may look like not having as much time to prepare the sermon as we thought that we had because we're going to spend either Friday night or Saturday night tending to the sheep. It may be that we're tending to the sheep who has lost a little lamb. Their lamb has gone astray. There's no end to the number of things that we can be called on, to lay down our time, to lay down the things that God has has given us, the blessings that we have. We likely won't be called on to lay down our life for our sheep, but we certainly won't be willing to lay down our life for our sheep if we're not laying down our convenience and our time and our love and our care. Shepherd the flock of God among you with the power of God's Holy Spirit at work in you. I'm relatively new at this compared to some of you men that are here. This was really the convicting part for me as I looked at these scriptures. May God have mercy on me and may he make me a good shepherd. The second thing I would have us notice is this. He tells these pastors to exercise oversight of the flock of God. Oversight simply means to look after them carefully. To be beware of dangers. To be vigilant over the flock. That's interesting. You see, we overseers, we shepherds, in addition to being the shepherd, this sounds odd, but we're one of the sheep as well. We belong to Christ also, don't we? The only real difference is, is that we've got some delegated authority and we have some responsibility for his sheep. We have a rod and we have a staff, at least figuratively, don't we? I'm not sure which one of those tools gets used for which. I suspect the rod is used to protect the sheep and Since the staff, I think, has a crook on it, you probably use that to retrieve the sheep when they fall in the ditch. But that is our responsibility and it is deeper than the rest of the sheep in the flock. But we're among the sheep and we have responsibility and authority for the sheep. To be effective, we need both of those relationships. If we're gonna be the kind of shepherd that we must be, we need both of those relationships. The shepherd, he must be among the sheep in order to know his sheep and what their needs are and what they're struggling with. Somebody said that real shepherds smell like sheep. I've got to ask myself, do I smell like my sheep? I'd ask you to ask yourself that question too. We've got to be among the sheep in order to know them and what their needs are. But we must exercise authority and responsibility in order to guide the sheep in the scriptures and to help them resolve the problems and the difficulties and the challenges that they face every day in a scriptural way. We must be among the sheep. We shepherds need to be able to both preach and pastor. That's been talked about, too, here at the conference. Heavy on the preaching, light on the pastoring, or reverse that, and we're out of balance. We need that balance. We need to be able to preach, and we need to be able to pastor The preacher needs to be a pastor so that he can apply the word of God to the sheep. And the pastor needs to be a preacher so he can guide and counsel with the authority of God's word to the circumstances that are being faced by the sheep that have been entrusted to him. Peter said that we are to shepherd the flock and to exercise this oversight, not under compulsion. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Brothers, we ought not be doing this out of obligation or under duress. We ought not be shepherding the flock that God has entrusted to us out of obligation or under duress, but willingly, as God would have us to do. And God forbid that we should do it for shameful gain, or once again I'll refer to the King James, filthy lucre. We ought not be motivated to shepherd God's flock by any appropriate desire for money or advantage. But we ought to shepherd God's flock with eagerness, with enthusiasm, with excitement, and with zeal. We ought not be lazy. We ought to work hard. We ought to be eager. There should be a desire and a willingness to serve because of love for Christ and love for his people and a devotion to those sheep that he has entrusted to each of us. We ought to serve from a willing mind that takes pleasure in being a shepherd. And we ought to genuinely and joyfully work hard to serve the church and the people of God. And certainly we ought to be like Paul in Romans chapter 1. We ought to be eager to preach the gospel at every opportunity to declare that Jesus, the eternally begotten Son of the Father, was sent by the Father and he left his home in glory and he came down here and he took on flesh. He's fully God and fully man, as much human as we are and as much God as the Father and the Spirit. He lived a life that was absolutely sinless. He had no sin of his own. He did not deserve to die. He's the one man who has ever lived that did not deserve to die, yet he came specifically to die specifically for his people, specifically on that cross, specifically under the wrath of God against every one of the sins of every one of his people, and he did that. And then he declared, it is finished. And then he dismissed his spirit from his body. And they took his dead body down from the cross, and they laid him in a borrowed tomb, and his dead body lay there for parts of three days. But praise God, on the morning of the third day, after midnight and before sunrise, His eyes opened, his heart began to beat, his lungs filled with air. He stood up, I strongly suspicion, with a broad smile on his face. He gently and neatly folded the napkin that had covered his face, his death shroud. He laid it aside, the stone was rolled away, and he walked out alive forevermore. And in the next 40 days, he was seen by more than 500 of his disciples at one time, and others on other occasions. And then they stood by, after having supped with him, embraced him John said we, we beheld him we scrutinized him this is the Jesus that was alive and died on the cross he came out from the, the dead and walked among us they stood by and they watched as he ascended into the clouds of God's glory for he is now seated at God's right hand ruling and reigning the universe the man Jesus of Nazareth is ruling and reigning the universe and he is coming again very soon to receive us unto himself he is coming in power and glory That's the good news. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Peter will go on and tell us in verse 3 that we're not to domineer over those in our charge, but be examples to the flock. So the third thing I'd like to point out is this, that we're not to domineer the flock of God. We're not to lord it over our, our position of authority and responsibility. We're not to lord it over the flock of God. Those who are in our charge, those whose care and oversight has been entrusted to us, we ought not domineer. I don't know a lot about sheep, but I read that you've got to lead them, you can't drive them. They don't herd up real well. I want to talk about the contrast between driving sheep and leading sheep. Shepherds lead sheep. I suppose other than shepherds. I'll just go ahead and say false shepherds try to drive sheep could be very mistaken shepherds, I suppose. They may not all be false. But I can tell you this. True shepherds are not dictatorial in the way they deal with the sheep God has entrusted to them. They're not authoritarian in the way that they deal with the sheep that God has entrusted to them. They don't have an overbearing manner as they deal with the sheep that they shepherd. See, true shepherds do not exhibit an attitude of control or manipulation. They exhibit an attitude of humility. And love and care and concern. We don't domineer the flock of God. True shepherds do not, harsh me- do not use harsh means and they do not use harsh methods intended to exert rule over the congregation that's been entrusted to them. Paul said something like that to the Corinthians in the second letter in the first chapter. He said, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. I need to think about that. He said, we don't lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. That has a pastoral ring to it, doesn't it? I need to work with my people for their joy. For their good, yes. For their spiritual well-being, yes. But don't stop there. They're not going to have any joy unless you take care of that. We have a responsibility to feed, lead, and protect our people in order that they may experience joy in their faith and in Jesus Christ. The Lord himself said this. He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The Lord Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve a lot of examples of that in his life we certainly know better than our master are we he was a servant our servant praise god let us be servants to our people and lastly we should be an example to the flock of god peter says we're to be leaders not drivers We're to be a model of what it means to be a Christian man to our people. We're to set the pattern of what it looks like to be a good husband, to be a good dad, to be a good Christian. Not a a do-what-I-say-but-a-do-what-I-do pattern. We're to be a living illustration to our people of what it means to follow Christ on the good days, on the not so good days and on the real bad weeks we're to guide the sheep we're to set the standard among the flock And brothers I just want to tell you that I know because I know you know but I want you to know that I know that I can't do this apart from God's Holy Spirit I can't do this unless I humble myself under the mighty hand of God It's amazing to me how much humility is required in being a pastor of God's sheep, but we're to be that example to God's people. On our best days, we should be able to tell them to imitate us because we're imitating Christ, because we're following hard after Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 3. He said, brothers, join in imitating me. Imitate me. Now, Paul didn't want them to be just like him. He wanted to be just like Jesus. That's who he was imitating. He was setting the standard. He was being a model and a pattern and illustration for them. He said, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. We have the responsibility to set the example. May God give us grace to do that. He even wrote to young Timothy, and he told him this. He said, but set the believers an example, Timothy, in speech. Watch what you say, pastor, and how you say it. Set them an example in speech and in conduct and in love and in faith and in purity. That's a high bar. None of us are worthy of the office. None of us are capable of discharging these things apart from the enablement and the filling of God's Holy Spirit. There's suffering, there's sacrifice. Oh, but look at verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will see, receive the unfading crown of glory. I'm not exactly sure what the unfading crown of glory looks like, but there's one up there for every one of us that are true, And faithful shepherds for the Lord Jesus Christ. You certainly know that the chief shepherd that he refers to here is Jesus. And I can't help but point out again to you that he says when the chief shepherd appears, not if the chief shepherd appears. Christ is coming again, and this may be the day. What is it that we want to hear? What What we long to hear from the lips of our master is this. Well done, good and faithful servant." You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, I long to hear those words, don't you? Sometimes I have to remind myself, sometimes someone else has to remind me that he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Praise God, he didn't say, Well done, good and fruitful servant. There's some that have labored a long time, maybe in one place, maybe in other places. Somebody mentioned Jeremiah earlier this week. Preach the same gospel as a man that God has used to harvest a lot of souls. Maybe you're in a difficult field. Maybe you're in a difficult place. God's not judging us based on the fruit we produce. He's judging us based on our faithfulness to the duties and the responsibilities that he has given us. We pray for fruit, but we recognize only God's spirit can bear that. Somebody's got to plant the seed. And you know, over the course of the ministry that God has entrusted to me many years, much of which was evangelism, there have been very few instances where I've actually been present when a conversion took place. But when it did, it seemed like in every one of those instances, when I asked them to tell me what is happening in their life, they were middle-aged to older men at a mission that i preached at regularly and they all had something to say like this when i was a boy my mother or my grandmother sometimes it was my aunt took me to church every sunday and it was an old guy that stood up there and he preached the same thing every sunday and i never got it until tonight until tonight and i'm sure that that old guy that preached that gospel has already gone home to glory and I think to myself, i preach preached that same gospel a lot of nights, and I've seen nothing, nothing. But I'm planting seeds, and I pray that there'll be some young man along the way, maybe some not-so-young man along the way, get to be there when God determines it's time to bring that child home. We'll receive an unfading crown of glory in Revelation chapter 4 the book of Revelation, chapter 4, we read, The four and twenty elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I'll conclude with this. Peter was writing to these pastors in a very difficult circumstance. They were exiled from home. They were being persecuted along with their people for their faith in Christ. They were suffering. They were exiles, and they were pilgrims, pilgrims, but they were still the flock of God. They were being brutalized by the world's pack of wolves. But God's people in every age, ours included, are God's heritage, and they must be cared for lovingly and responsibly by their shepherds. God's people ought to be treated with love, humility, compassion, kindness, tenderness, gentleness, empathy, affection, and respect by those that shepherd them. Men who are forced to do the work of a shepherd because of need or obligation, and men who are attracted to it because of the reward of income or profit, they cannot serve the flock of Christ as they should because their motivation is wrong. Brothers, Peter does not promise us popularity or proceeds for our services that we render. But he does promise to us an unfading crown of glory, that as we serve God's people as we ought and from the proper motivation, that we will one day hear our Lord Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. May we discharge our duty among those that God has entrusted to us in the best manner that we can and be a constant example to them of all that is good. And I'll leave you with this. The Lord Jesus is the chief shepherd of the entire flock of God across all of the ages. Christ bought them with his blood. He rules them in his sovereignty. He defends them in his providence. And he preserves them forever in accordance with his purpose. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And all of us who pastor and preach in his name are ultimately accountable and answerable to him. Upon his glorious return and judgment, Christ Jesus will summon every one of his shepherds into account. He will judge each of us to determine whether or not we have faithfully discharged our God-given duties. Those shepherds judged by Christ the Lord to have faithfully fulfilled the solemn and earnest duties appointed to us will receive from our chief shepherd an unfeigning crown of everlasting glory to lay at his feet for his eternal glory. May Christ bless his churches with gifted and dedicated pastors. Christians everywhere, pray for your pastors. And with the psalmist, I would say, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but unto your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness, all glory be to Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are amazed at your grace that has called us out of the darkness of sin, regenerated us and translated us into the kingdom of your dear son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, how marvelous your grace is, Father, in saving us. Father, for those of us who you have called to pastor and shepherd, Lord, it's even more mind-boggling that you take men that have no more natural capabilities than we and they're beset on every side with flesh indwelling sin the difficulties of living in this fallen world and with satan as our adversary entrust to us the care of your people god help us be the shepherds that we ought to be for the glory of christ and the good of his people i pray amen